Hello everyone, welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. I'm excited to be here. It's Monday night. Where else would we want to be? Right here at Bible study. So we're going to get started and uh, we start off our time is we're going to pray and ask God's blessing and leadership over our time here and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for uh, an opportunity to meet. We thank you for an opportunity to gather together. We pray, God, that uh, the sum of who we are uh, joined with your Holy Spirit would produce some great things tonight. I ask you that there would be revelation, and I pray that there would be times where we would be able to receive direct truth from you, God, uh, during this time. I just ask you that you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you teach us by your Holy Spirit. I pray for change into our lives. I ask you, God, that your word would be powerful and would be able to bring forth the change that we need in us. Uh, I thank you that your word is powerful and it's living and that it's sharp. I thank you that it divides between uh, just the, the the smallest parts of us. And so I ask you, God, for your word to be active in our life tonight and for you to bring truth even to some deep places in us. So we pray, God, for change. We pray, God, for your truth. We pray, God, for to be challenged tonight. We pray for revelation tonight. We just ask that you be glorified during this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, we have some available on the tables. You can feel free to help yourself to those. Matthew, chapter 12. I need a volunteer to read verse 8. Matthew 12, 8. All right, thank you. Appreciate you reading that. It was an easy one tonight, short and sweet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the story behind this is, and how this came up, was that the disciples were out picking corn uh, to eat, which uh, in and of itself was legal and lawful for them to do. Uh, the God had made provision for people that were hungry to be able to uh, gather some food from the edges of the fields and so they were partaking in that they were out they were getting uh, food from the edges of the field uh, you can look at uh, Deuteronomy 23:25 there might be something there Deuteronomy 23:25 that speaks to why this was a lawful thing they were doing All right. So basically, it was a provision that God had allowed for people that were hungry to be able to get food. And the disciples were hungry, and so they were picking uh, this corn, grain, whatever it was, and they were eating it. And so that wasn't the issue. Because the Pharisees saw them plucking the, the grain, the corn, and judged them. And went to Jesus and said, now do you know what your disciples are doing? Because what they're doing is not lawful. Now why was it not lawful? It wasn't lawful because they were doing it on the Sabbath day. What they were doing was lawful. It was when they were doing it that made it unlawful to the Pharisees. And so they went to Jesus and they said, yeah, you can't do this. So we look at Deuteronomy 5.14. That explains why they considered it to not be lawful. Deuteronomy 
or the sojourner who is in your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. All right. So this was the verse that the Pharisees would use to build their case. Uh, Pharisees were the original, in a, in a real sense, within our traditions, were the original lawyers. In other words, they, would, they knew the law, and they knew that this was a law, and they built their case based on what these verses said. So they had taken these verses, and they had extrapolated meaning from them. And they had made a lot of rules and regulations that they applied to everybody, including themselves, that took the Sabbath day and the simple way that God had for it, and it got more complicated in the law. Uh, Originally, it was a very simple gesture that God made toward man in Genesis, and we'll get back to that, what his intent was in that. But in the law, it was still a simple gesture. It was still a simple regulation. It's like, it just don't work. But the way that the Pharisees had defined work was anything. Like they defined how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. They defined what you could do inside your home on the Sabbath, what you couldn't do inside your home on the Sabbath. They had defined a lot of the things that we take for granted that are just normal parts of everyday life. They have nothing to do with how a person would earn their living or how a person would work. Right? And that's clearly what the law was talking about, but then they made it into something that it wasn't. And so Jesus is going to address that. He's going to address it because what you have here is you have the disciples hungry, picking the, the corn, picking the grain they wanted to eat, so they're eating it. Uh, and, and it was perfectly lawful what they were doing. We read that in Deuteronomy 23, 25. It's perfectly lawful. What the Pharisees were objecting to is that the disciples were breaking their rules and their regulations that they made up. Are you following me on this so far? So the law is not really the issue here. The law, the, the law isn't really at play here. What's at play here is the interpretation that the Pharisees brought to it. What's at play here is their rules, their regulations, and them being upset because Jesus' disciples weren't following what they said was what God wanted. And so Jesus responds to this. He's going to respond to this. And so the way he responds is he, he refers them back to David. And he talks about how David was hungry, and he went into the temple, and he, he got the showbread. The showbread was bread they put out in the temple. No one ate it, really, while it was out. But David, because he was hungry, he went on in there, and he ate the bread. All right, so, so that's kind of irritating. So if somebody want to look at that, 1 Samuel 21, 1 Samuel 21. We're all getting somewhere. I just want to lay a good foundation here for what he's about to say because we need, a, we need to, to get a good idea of where he's coming from. 1 Samuel 21, verse 1 through 7. <coughs> All right, so this, Jesus refers back to this story. And he said, and he, and he, he confronts the Pharisees, he says, that, don't you remember this story about how David ate the showbread right out because he was hungry? Now see, according to the rules of the Pharisees, that would have been completely wrong. 
That would have been totally and completely wrong, and they would have judged that. But because it was history, they look back on it, and they make an exception in their mind because they, whatever. David obviously did that, and he was fine doing it. And God was perfectly okay with it. But no one could ever do that again, according to the Pharisees. It was the exception. Because their rules were more important than the reality of how God deals with his people. So Jesus is trying to confront that. He said, didn't you see that or don't you remember this? And then he said, even the priests, they go about their duties. You look, you can look in, I think it's Numbers 28. It describes some of the duties of the priests, but they have a lot of stuff they have to do on the Sabbath day. They're constantly working. They're constantly doing stuff. They have to prepare sacrifices. They, they have to put the showbread out. They have to do all of these things that take place on the Sabbath day. He's like, aren't they guilty? Aren't they profaning the Sabbath by your rules and regulations? And the only answer to that is, well, it would have to be an exception, right? So what he's trying to point out here are the exceptions to their rules and regulations. And by doing this, he's saying these aren't really rules and regulations. These are just your opinion. This is just what you're saying. This is just a means by which you can judge other people by. And this is what's important about this. This is what, what's key about this. Because then the final argument that he brings is him. But it's not really him. It's who he represents, which is us. We're the final argument on this. And Jesus, in representing all of us, he described himself as the Son of Man. And, and when Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man, he's referring to his humanity. He's referring to who he is as the firstborn among many brethren. He refers to who he is as our brother, as the one who is like us in every way, and we are like him. And so... That's how he refers to himself. The Son of Man is how he refers to himself. And then he makes a statement here. He says, the Son of Man. He didn't say the Son of God. And I want you to understand that. And, and notice that in the scriptures when he uses the phrase Son of Man and when he uses the phrase Son of God. Okay? you got to Try to notice that. He said, but the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now there's something powerful about that statement in this. The, the Son of Man, number one, is greater than the temple. He says one greater than the temple is here. He's referring to himself. And he's probably referring to his body. Kind of in a John chapter 2 verse 19 kind of way. John 2 19 is where Jesus said, you destroy this temple. And I'll raise it up again three days. And everybody's looking at the big building. They're like, there's no way he can do that. But he's not talking about the building. He's talking about his body. And so he said, one greater than the temple is here. What's he talking about? His body, which is the true temple. His body, which is the truest, the highest, the, the temple of God. Well, that, what does the Bible say about our bodies? How are we described in the, in the scripture as we, our bodies are the temple of God? Right. 1 Corinthians 6.19. Somebody want to read that? 1 Corinthians 6.19. Now, this is God's highest, truest dwelling place, is us. And I don't make an exception for Jesus here. I don't say, well, it was Jesus. He's the truest and highest dwelling place of God. Because as I read in 1 Corinthians 6.19, we're the dwelling place of God. And so as he says this, he says, one greater than the temple is here. Well, what he's ushering in here is a new idea. And the new idea is this, is that God, his highest desire is to indwell us. As far as dwelling anywhere, it's in us. His highest desire is not dwelling within a building. His highest desire is not putting his presence into some kind of a room or some kind of a building or some kind of a special place. His highest and truest purpose is that he's going to put himself into me and you. 
And if you think about how we were created and you think about how we came into being, you know, you know the story in Genesis where God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and then he breathed into him the breath of life. See, that indwelling breath, that was his purpose from the very start. That's how creation came about. There's no doubt that 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 was his purpose at that time and that's his purpose now is that He indwells us. He brings life into us. We're dust. Our bodies are are dust. And our bodies are going to go back to dust. And that was the whole point of that. But it's the breath of God that's in us that brings life and truly brings us to that place where we, we can be in fellowship with Him. And so the whole idea of the garden and the whole idea of God planting that garden and putting man into that garden you know, man wasn't created in the garden. He was created wherever he was created. God planted a garden and then put man into it after man was created. And the purpose of that place was that God and man were going to dwell together. The purpose of that garden, the purpose of the, whatever it was that he planted there is that he would walk through the cool of the day and, and there would just there would be God, man, and they'd be hanging out together. They'd be living together. They would be dwelling together. You don't see that again. That kind of an idea, you don't see that again until the ministry of Jesus. You don't see that again until Jesus starts talking about the vine and he's talking about how we're... Uh, the branches of the vine and all of those things like that and that idea of abiding in Him and Him abiding in us. Because you don't see that again until Jesus begins to reintroduce the idea that God doesn't dwell in a building, that God doesn't dwell in a special spot somewhere, that God doesn't have some kind of a special thing that He does and we got to go over there to find Him, but God dwells with His people. And in our case, He dwells in His people. And so the whole idea of the temple was going away. At least the way that they understood it. The big building with the stones going away. They were super proud of it. It was going away. It was a focal point for them when they returned from captivity to rebuild that temple. Always a focal point. And yet that was just going to go away. Thousands of years they had served God at the temple, hundreds of years at least, and in various iterations of what the temple was, they had served God, and it was just going to go away. That was it. Because what was replacing that stone temple was of greater value, and that's me and you. That's Jesus. That's us. And that was God's original intent. So he declares himself... And he's Lord of the Sabbath. Well, because he's because he's got a greater temple. What's the greater temple? His body. See, and I want you to learn from this something. His body is the greater temple. Your body is the greater temple. We are the greater temple. And he quotes a verse, Hosea six six. Somebody can find that quick. I'm going to keep talking, but he quotes a verse in Hosea six six. And in this verse, he talks about mercy and how central the idea of mercy is to God's plan and God's purposes. For and, I desire yeah. mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Now think about this. This is a prophet that prophesied and spoke this truth. This was something that every Pharisee knew. This is a verse that every single one of them knew. What's the problem? What is the problem? Because clearly you have a situation here where you have a bunch of hungry people. They're in a field. They're picking corn. They're picking grain so that they can barely eat something so they're not living hungry. Clearly, this is a mercy opportunity. What they turn it into? They turned it into, you're breaking the law. And what Hosea was saying, and what he continued to say, is that God looks for, God indwells, God gives forth mercy. He desires mercy. That's what he's looking for from us. And what religion does, 
He, in, in some versions it says, I will have mercy, is what it says in some versions. But what religion does is it inverts those two things. If you think about it, and you think about the religion that has taken root in our hearts and in our minds, how it's inverted those two things. Sacrifice becomes, and by sacrifice, what do they mean? They mean the religion part of it. They mean bring your doves or bring your lamb or bring whatever it is you're going to bring and go through the ceremony and do whatever you need to do in those ceremonies. And when you're done, then you're okay and you're all good. What God is saying through the prophet is that I will have mercy. Not only does he say I'll have mercy, he says, and not sacrifice. So what he's saying there is that he's saying this is what I'll have and this is what I reject. Not sacrifice. So the problem becomes is that religion, and this is in us, as much as in anybody else, religion inverts those two things. And, and, and what happens is mercy, when those two things are inverted, mercy becomes dangerous. It becomes dangerous to people and they see it that way to religious people. And Well, you better be careful with that. Careful with what? It's what God says he'll have, is mercy. Not the sacrifice, not the religious stuff. And I know that's a strong statement, and I know that for some people that's going to be way too far over one side or the other, but I really believe it is that strong of a statement. I think Jesus is bringing that up again here. He's speaking to the Pharisees who have built their whole faith and built their whole response to God on on whatever they could come up with, religious rules, regulations, and whatever it is that they would do. Dividing the, the tenth of the seeds and dividing the tenth of whatever with the spices that they bought at the market and, and making sure that they followed, followed a ceremony and how they washed their dishes and their cups and making sure that they only took 18 steps on the Sabbath day or, or whatever it was that they were making up trying to, to make themselves right with God. And we do the same things. We do the same things with our superstitions. We do the same things with our ridiculous ridiculous ways that we try and we we try to relate to and we try to interact with God. It's ridiculous. Whole religions, whole whole denominations, whole 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 you know whatever you want to call them movements are built on superstitions. You do this, this, and this, and you're right with God. You do these things, and you're right with God. You're this. You do this many good works, and and, you, and God will be happy with you. If your good works outweigh your bad works, then you're okay with God. Whatever it is, whatever those superstitions are, that's what people are brought up to believe and they're living in bondage to it. And Jesus is trying to set us free. He's really trying to set us free from that. God says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And, and Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you understood what that means, you wouldn't be bothering these disciples who are trying to just eat. But they didn't understand what it means. Because in their minds, the two, those things had been inverted. And that mercy and, and the grace and the love that they could have shown those disciples who were just scraping by, just trying to bag up something to eat in a field there could have turned to mercy and could have turned to provision over their life, but instead it turned to judgment, you're breaking the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath. And really miss the whole point of who God is. See, religion does miss the point of who God is. It's relationship that brings us into a place where we can really begin to understand Him. We can really begin to live free with Him. Live at liberty with Him. Remember, first principles. Remember, created intent that God had for us was to live in fellowship with Him. He wants to indwell us. And he wants to live in us. And He wants us to know what it is to abide in Him and Him abiding in us. He wants to know what, us to know what it is to get our life, whatever that life is, through Him and, and that we grow based on the life that He's pouring through us. He wants us to live like that. Mercy is never dangerous. It's never too dangerous. Grace is never too dangerous. Love is never too dangerous. But religion tells you that it is. 
I've been rebuked lots of times for these teachings. Many, many times. And the reasons I get rebuked is that, well, then people are just going to go off and they're going to do whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's really exciting to me. That maybe people would actually do that. Maybe they actually would go ahead and do whatever they're going to do. Instead of faking it, or instead of hiding behind something, or instead of whatever, torturing their lives, that maybe they could find it in their heart to just be free and to live what's in their heart. And you think about it, it's like, well, maybe there's some bad things in their heart. Yeah, how are they ever going to know? How would you ever know what's in your heart? How would you ever know what's, what's deep down inside it if you never live it, if you never express it, if you never see anything happening in your life? Such a waste of our time and such a waste of our life not to live. And I know that sounds crazy, but I mean, that's the way it is. God wants us to live. And we're going to live in mercy. And we're going to live in grace. And we're going to live in love. That's how it's going to happen. Sacrifice? I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And if the Pharisees, the religious people had understood that, they wouldn't be doing the things they were doing. That's what Jesus said. Just wouldn't. This would not be an issue. This would not come up. Wouldn't even be thought of. But those two things have been inverted. How do they manifest in us? I want you to think about that. How does religion manifest in your life? And the way I want you to think about that is, is I want you to think about that in terms of mercy. Some of us have a high degree of justice in our hearts and minds. And I, the reason I know that is because I fight that. And that high degree of justice that's in my heart and in my mind is not compatible with mercy. It's just not. And so when I feel that and I sense that and I see that rearing up in me, I know that mercy is not dominating the moment. I know that. I know that mercy is not the thing that is ruling over that moment in my life. Because my sense of whatever it is, my sense of justice, well, that's just my sense of justice. My sense of justice is based on my knowledge of good and evil, I guess. And what I think should happen and what I think shouldn't happen. And it's kind of interesting that my sense of justice only rears up when somebody does something that offends me. You see, I I don't really, at least for me, I don't really notice all the time. Sometimes I do, but not all the time when someone else is offended. Sometimes I do, but other times I don't. But I sure notice when I'm offended. That's when the strong justice comes out. Well, that is incompatible with mercy. And Jesus couldn't have made it clearer when he talked about whatever... It's whatever measure that you're going to judge others by. He says, that's the measure that you'll be judged by. I want to be as lenient as I possibly can. If you think about it. Because we're not talking about eternal things here. Right? We're talking about like stupid things. And if I can be lenient in the stupid things of life, I mean seriously, find grace or find mercy or find some love in me. For, for like the dumb things of life that happen to us, man, I'm going to reap that eternally. I'm like, I'm okay with that. I'm good with that, actually. I want to reap that. I want to reap that kind of mercy. I want to reap that kind of love. I want to reap that kind of grace in my life. So I need to sow it, too. So if I'd understood what that verse meant, Hosea 6, 6, I wouldn't ha- nearly have the stress level I have today. Alright, if I really understand that. Because I wouldn't be out trying to make things, you know, to try and bring justice to the world, or even to my life. And I've noticed when I live in mercy, I have a lot less stress. I've noticed when I live in mercy and grace, I have a lot less uh, worries on my mind. 
I just noticed that. And the worst time for this for me is when I'm driving. That's the worst. That is the absolute worst. And that's when I fight it the most. But if I can win that battle, then I find myself winning other battles that are outside of that realm. And sometimes those battles are really more meaningful than the guy cutting me off on the road. But I find myself winning that and being merciful. You know how we win battles? We're merciful. (laughs) Yeah, but you're going to lose. Nope. It looks like I lost, but I really won if I can be merciful and loving and full of grace. So we have to get rid of that inversion that we've been taught. We need to get things turned right side up again. And the right side up is, as Old Testament as Old Testament is, and as New Testament as New Testament is, it's just God. The right side up is mercy. The right side up is grace. And the right side up is love. That's what it is. That's right side up thinking. And all that other stuff is all twisted and turned over. And we need to get that straightened out. Can we like be merciful and having forgiveness can go hand in hand? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean it is. It's a it mercy is that mercy is that component where we forgive, where we release, where we let go even when somebody else is wrong. You know, and it's not even living in that. It's just being able to let go. There are whole cultures built on that. That the whole idea of, of being merciful, and and we can learn from that. And again, you'd have to keep telling yourself. It's not dangerous. It's not. Religion tells you it is, but God says it's not. That inverted idea says it's dangerous, but the truth of it is, the right side up thinking says it's not. And so we have to keep reminding ourselves of that. So let's look at the Sabbath. He says he's Lord of the Sabbath, and and that was really what the the issue was here. And so he makes these arguments to the Pharisees that I just made. He makes these arguments to the Pharisees. He says, even in the Old Testament, you look at David. You look at the priests that serve in the temple. You look at, and then then he brought it forward, forward a little bit, and he says, and one greater than the temple's here. And why could he say that? Well, the reason he said that, if you look at, somebody look at Mark 2.27. Mark adds something to this passage in Mark 2.27. This is also an important point that Jesus is making to the Pharisees. And then he says that not only have you inverted mercy and sacrifice, you've also inverted the purposes of God for even why the Sabbath was made. What's the inversion? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So that was, that was also upside down. It was inverted. And so he's like, there's two, so in Mark, he points out a second inversion. The first inversion is the whole idea behind mercy and sacrifice. The second inversion has to do with why God even made the Sabbath. And so what he's trying to tell them is that they're twisted in their thinking, and because they're twisted in their thinking, they can't understand even really simple, basic truths of why God has done things. Case in point. The Sabbath day. Why did God make the Sabbath? Well, it was for 
us. It was for our welfare and to promote our happiness. That's why the Sabbath was made. When did it get inverted? It got inverted when the law was uh, brought in and written down and people began to interpret the law and develop a religion based on it. That's how it got inverted. Again, what's the inversion? Religion is the inversion. But when was the Sabbath instituted? Anybody know? After day, well, yeah. So, go to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. So why, and this, this is kind of an interesting point here. It's okay, Genesis 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Somebody read that? All right, so God instituted the Sabbath. Originally, who rested? He did. But what he did was he set the day aside, and he's like, everybody rest. Now, what's so bad about that? I mean, really, what is so bad about that? Think about it. What was his intent behind that? He made the whole world in six days. Everything in it, everything was done, Seventh day, he comes along, he looks around, he's like, all done, we're going to rest. So he sets aside the seventh day, and he's like, we're going to rest on the seventh day. Now, was he tired? No. So who was that for? It's for us. All right? He didn't get tired. He did that for us as an example for us. He's like, this is the day you, I'm going to rest today. This is an example for all of you. I'm resting today. We're all going to rest today. And he set that day aside. He consecrated it. He said it's holy. In other words, it's set apart from other days. That's what the word holy means. It's set apart from other things that are like it. So every day that has a day in it. All right? Every day that has a day in it is the same except Sunday for us. Or the Sabbath day, uh, Saturday would be for the Jewish people, but that day God sets aside and He's like, this is different than the other days, and you need to see it as different. Why? Because this is the day you're supposed to rest. I gave you this day to rest. It's a gift. He gives us a gift so that we can rest. Now, understand that man was already created when he rested. Adam was there already. He was part of the creation of the six days. So he was there. He was functional. He was in there, whatever he was doing, all right, right there. And God said, all right, I'm resting. He's with man. Man's with him. Time to rest. And so they rested. God rested. Man rested. And a day was established, not like other days. This is going to be a whole different kind of thing. You're going to rest today. That's my gift to you. That's how God gifted us, with rest. All right, so how does that get turned into something else? Do you understand what I'm asking you? Like how crazy that is? Like here's a gift that God gave us. This is a really super relational kind of thing where God is looking at, at man. He's like, all right well, I'm going to give you this day. It's going to be totally different than the other days, and you're going to rest this day. There were no requirements on it. There was nothing going on with it. It was just a rest day. It was a gift that God gave to Adam, to us. And somehow, that got turned around and was just all crazy, where you got you got religious, the most religious people yelling at guys, trying to just get something to eat on the Sabbath day. Trying to... Trying to scare up some grain or corn on the Sabbath day so they're not going hungry. And now they're getting yelled at by the most religious people. That got really messed up, didn't it? Well, it's one of many things that gets messed up. 
when we're not coming from a place of mercy and grace and love. A lot of things get messed up like that. And so any interpretation of the Sabbath that we have needs to be favorable to our real wants and comforts. And by real, I'm talking about not like just stupid things we want to do. But I'm just talking about our real wants and our real comforts. Like rest. Like uh, things that we enjoy. Things that we do to recreate. Things that we do to recharge ourselves. Things that we do to uh, spend time with God or worship Him or whatever it is or the fellowship or things that we don't have time to do other days of the week. Sunday is not a found day. And I've heard that expression. It's a found day. So people have their wedding showers on Sundays. They have their birthday parties or whatever they're going to do. It's not a found day. It was always a day that God had set apart so that we could rest. And there were some generations that kind of understood that that came before us and they rested on Sundays. They took the time to do that. And the day that we live in, I don't know that we really understand that anymore. I don't even know if people understand how to rest anymore. But that's God's gift to us. I don't know about you, but I don't want to return the gift. I, I want to live in that. Now, you think about how this all merged together. Uh, Revelation 1.10, if you look there, it describes something called the Lord's Day. And, and I alluded to this earlier, how the Sabbath for the Jewish people or for other religions is a Saturday, but for us it's the first day of the week. It's uh, Sunday. In Revelation 1.10, anybody have that? On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So what was John doing on the Lord's day? He was in the Spirit. (laughs) Whatever that means to John, man, that's what he was doing, all right? So so we have an example of somebody. There's two things I want you to read off of that. First is there's this, this idea, this gathering day for us as believers that we have or has been chosen for us for whatever reasons to be the first day of the week, uh, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, it's referred to in the New Testament as the day that they uh, collected money for people that were uh, in need of some kind of uh, help. It was uh, a gathering day for the church. Uh, John here describes it as a day. And what was he doing? This is the second part I want you to get from this is that he was in the spirit. And so it was just a day that he was in communion, direct communion with God. So there's some value to that. And so we have rest as God's gift. But we also have an example of somebody resting. And one of the ways that he was resting and recreating was that he was in the Spirit. He was communing directly with God. So, there's an inversion that needs to take place in our hearts and minds about a couple things here. One is that God indwells us. And there's something really powerful about that. There's really something powerful about the living God indwelling us and making us His temple. We are the truest and highest temple of God. There will be none greater. And I know in Revelation it describes, you know, some kind of a a, a building in some way. And yet you look at how the building is described, the cornerstones and the gates and all the rest of that stuff. They're all people. And, and you know, there's something really truthful and powerful about that. But, but God dwells in us. He dwells in us. And, and He's given us this, this opportunity to live 
differently than the people around us if we can change our thinking. The whole world, they, they love that, the whole idea of, of justice. Not, about, not for them, but for other people. Yeah, nobody likes it when justice hits us. But for other people, yeah, alright. But God wants to change our minds. God calls us to live in mercy. God calls us to live in grace. God calls us to live in love. He wants to change our minds. And He also wants to change our minds about why, how things were made and, and why God does things. God does things and we need to default to that God's doing things because it's favorable to us. And then we're going to understand a lot more of what God says in His Word if we can interpret it that He's saying these things and He's doing these things because it's favorable toward us, to our real wants, toward our real comforts in our life. He's looking out for us. And for some of us, that's a huge flip over in our brains. Especially if we grew up thinking God's out to get us. <laughs> you grow up thinking God's out to get you, the, the whole world looks a lot different than the reality that God created. If you're thinking God's out to get you, the Bible, the meanings behind the words there and interpretations of the scriptures are completely off compared to what God really means by what he's saying. It's like any conversation. If you think somebody hates you and they can give you a compliment, you ever have this happen where you think somebody really doesn't like you but they give you a compliment and you think, oh, I know what he really means by that. That's rude. Uh, they just said you did a good job. Yeah, well, he means I didn't do a good job. You know, blah, 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 blah. And no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, he probably meant you did a good job, actually. <laughs> But you, your perspective on, on that can change how you even hear the most plain of language. And the scriptures are no exception to that. God speaking is no exception to that. If you're coming from the, the idea of God really likes me and he loves me and what he's doing right now is for my good and my benefit. It's, I'm seeing it through a lens of favorability toward where I'm going. Man, you know, I'm, I'm hearing things a lot differently. I'm reading things a lot differently. I'm understanding things a lot differently than if I think he doesn't like me. Right? You got the Sabbath day. Wow, you better keep the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, I got to follow all the rules. I got to follow all the regulations. I got to do all the stuff I'm supposed to do. No. No, actually, you're joining God in his rest. Yeah, actually. So it's going to take a few moments. Anybody have any questions? Anything you'd like to uh, comment on or speak about? Something new to you, maybe, that God spoke to you? Or different? Anyone? Yeah. Question? Mm-hmm. Got turned over. Yeah. Get them turned over. Anybody else? Right. Yeah, when is mercy danger too dangerous? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not always. You have to live in whatever somebody else's judgment of that is. Right. Right. So. Well, right. And I mean, God, see, even the fact that the disciples were in the field picking grain uh, and able to eat that, that was God's mercy. And and they were living in mercy, but they were getting judged for living in mercy. Yeah, I mean, that's a given, actually. that That's going to happen. Yeah. There's somebody going to judge that for sure. No doubt. Coming after that one. 
whether you're receiving mercy or you're giving mercy, somebody's going to judge it. You know, if you're giving mercy, you're a sucker. Right? If you're getting mercy, wow, you're getting away with something. Yeah. That's how that all works. Just, you guys live in it. You gotta live in it and let, let that happen. I mean, because the, the judgment's gonna happen. Let it happen. But just live where you need to live. Do what you need to do. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying about the stress of it all. I think that, I think there's a real stress factor to it. Because you're in, in a basic form, you're trying to control something you can't control. You're trying to accomplish something you can't accomplish. So. Anybody else? Very good. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for your love, and we thank you for your mercy today. And uh, Jesus, thanks for teaching us. And I pray, God, that things that are mixed up, things that are twisted in our brains and our hearts and our lives, that they would be straightened out in Jesus' name. Got bad ideas, bad ways of seeing things, bad ways of seeing God, bad ways of seeing ourselves, whatever it is, God, you begin to untwist those and begin to bring them right side up in Jesus' name. God, I pray the way we see ourselves as your temple, as we see ourselves as uh, being in, in fellowship with you, as we see ourselves in relation to who you are and what you're doing in the world, as we see you in, in what you have for us and the goodness that you want to pour out into our lives, I pray you turn it right side up. I pray you turn right side up our ideas about uh, why you've said things and why you've done things. And I pray, God, that we begin to see things more clearly and truthfully, God, as as, as favorable to us, to our, our real needs, to our real happiness. So, God, I, I just ask that you'd raise up a people of mercy, you'd raise up a people of grace and a people of love, and that where minds need to change and where the, the old forms of religion need to fall off of us, that they would fall off of us. That we'd shake them off if necessary so that we continue on. That we shake off heavy bands, that we shake off lies, that we shake off ways of doing or seeing or thinking about things that are just bondage in and of themselves, that we shake them off, that we can live free. And live at liberty. Yeah, God, I pray that we're just a merciful people. And a loving people. And a people full of grace. If we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.